0: So I walk, you know, you walk into the women's restroom and there is a, a secret door, like a trap door of sorts cut into the wall, literally almost just like it was plywood. And you walk through that door and you go back around the back of the building, you go a couple hundred yards in this really narrow alleyway that in the middle of the night, I would imagine is pitch black, dark, right? And then you come to a big clearing with numerous structures. And when you go into those buildings, it was, it was heartbreaking. I mean, it was just mattresses lined up on the floor. Hey, welcome to the Elijah Rising podcast, where we discuss the myths misconceptions, and most asked questions about sex trafficking. I'm Adam, and today I am joined by our very own David Gamboa, Director of Communications. Welcome, David. It's good to be on the podcast. You know, I'm usually on
1: the other side of the camera. It's true. But it's my turn now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You really do make the podcast what it is. Uh, So for those of you who don't know, David is like the technical guru of all things Elijah Rising. So um, he's normally behind the scenes with most stuff. But that's not all you do. Yeah. What, what else do you do, David? Um, well,
1: I used to lead Cantina Intervention, which, funny story, when I, my first time volunteering with Elijah Rising, I'm coming to Intervention. I'm like super psyched, you know, we're going to yeah. go out into these places and, and you know, help women. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm just going to be with a team. I'm just going to hang back and... um our founder at the time pointed me out in the in the middle of like worship and it was like, "You're going to lead the cantina team."
0: Wait, this was your first time? <laughs> My first okay. time at All intervention. Right.
1: All right. And I was like, "What do you mean? I don't even know where they are. I don't even know what they are. Wow. I don't even know." And so I just kind of did it and went along with it. We're much more organized now. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. We have <laughs> procedures and stuff, but um, and that was kind of something I just kept coming back and doing. Yeah. Wow.
0: And if some of you are recognizing his last name, yes, he is married to (laughs) our executive director, Micah Gamboa. Uh, They are the power couple around here these days. And so, um, yeah, I'm happy to have you on the podcast. Uh, And today you've kind of already touched on it a little bit. But first, this first episode, we're going to talk about the Cantina uh, model and the way that that trade works in particular. So tell us, David, uh, since you have a lot of experience doing intervention in, uh, in the cantinas. What is a cantina and how do they operate in specific reference to sex trafficking?
1: Yeah. So a cantina is essentially like a bar, you know, right. um, we get the question a lot of times, like, is it a restaurant? Cause you know, we think of Papacito's Cantina. We think of El Tiempo Cantina. Right. Uh, these are different. These are bars. Um, you walk in, And it's usually really dark. There's usually lights, loud music. There's a bar area. They don't take credit cards. There's an ATM machine in the side. And you see women, kind of scantily clad women, lined up against the bar or against the wall. And so the way a cantina works is um, guys go in and they'll purchase a beer Um, It might be a $5 beer, it might be a $15 beer, or it might be a $70 beer. Right. And sort of that transaction is is how they're able to sort of operate under the guise of a bar. Where essentially, it's acting as a brothel.
0: Right. So you're not just purchasing like a food item or a drink. You're actually purchasing a person. Yeah. And the tab is the same. It just looks like you're purchasing you know, drinks or whatever.
1: Yeah. And it varies. I mean, uh, some people go in there just to kind of flirt with the women. And so they'll purchase beer kind of just for their time. But there's also guys that are going in there purchasing women, either going off into, you know, a side room or nearby hotel and where the sex act is performed.
0: So, uh, you know, cantina is kind of a pretty common word. I mean, obviously it's a Spanish word, right? And so we we see like chain restaurants like so I guess the question that we often get in reference to this is like are all cantinas brothels? If I see cantina on a sign, does that mean it's a brothel? <laughs>
1: yeah, a cantina it just means a bar or right. a place to gather. Um you know, if it if it's a restaurant, it's odds are it's probably not a <laughs> illicit Cantina brothel where, like, if you have to
0: make a reservation for a meal,
1: yeah, or or even if they take credit cards. I mean, these places are really shady. You'll see when you pull up. I mean, a lot of the times, um, even like the front doors are like boarded. Like, it's like you don't want to go in here, right? But you go around the back and there's like 50 or so cars, and you know, people are coming in and out. Um, And so it's not really a place that you're going to. Say that's really appealing. I want to go inside, right? Right, right. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Um, so not all cantinas are brothels. Um, and these are primarily another term that people will use is called pony bars. Oh, right, that's right.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's that's kind of another just colloquial way that that's referred to in yeah. the trade, right? Um, okay, so. Again, this is one of the ways that sex trafficking happens in in Houston, but it's not just Houston. There are other areas uh, in the nation where the cantina kind of model works. But Houston in particular has a pretty horrific history of sex trafficking in cantinas. So why don't we we talk about a few of those cases, maybe one or two um, from from our own work at at Elijah Rising. Can you think of any that stand out to you?
1: Yeah, and they've really been just so shocking or horrific that you that cantinas have, have garnered the name of like the Houston model oh, of yeah. trafficking. Um not that it's just unique to Houston, it's just some of the cases are so egregious. Right. Um, like uh La Costanita. Oh, and yeah. I know you were around when when we were doing van tours yeah, and going right. by that place and you actually have experience going into yeah. La Costanita.
0: Yeah. In the early days of Elijah rising, we did a lot of things. We, yeah, we were just like figuring it out. We started as a prayer meeting, you know, and, um, we knew that we needed to raise awareness and we also recognized the need to like, just do intervention. Like we just got to get out there. We got to meet women where they're being, where they're being trafficked, where they're being sold. And La Costa Nita was, as you said, like this pretty famous, like well-known cantina, uh, bar where trafficking was just So obviously taking place. Like it really wasn't that hidden when you went in. And so there, there, in those days, we would staff um, and some volunteers would just go into these places, much like we do an intervention now, but with a lot less structure. Yeah. <laughs> um, we just kind of went in and just looked around and tried to find an opportunity to talk to somebody. And so I remember going into La Costanita at one point. Um, and it is exactly as you just described, David. You did a really good job, right? I mean, like, lots of it's dark, but with like strobe lights and bumping music, very yeah, loud music. Super loud. Yeah. And I think they had like a pool table in there and a little dance floor, some tables and things like that. And it was just very obvious. Like, and what was craziest about that experience was it was the first time I had ever been into a cantina and the amount of women, I mean, there were tons of women. I, I mean, I, I think that night, like 20, 30 or so wow. women, um, that were just literally lined up. Um, by the bar and on the dance floor. It was just so evident what was happening there. But then it got shut down. <laughs> it got raided. Um, yeah. And the the owner of the property uh, and the trafficker in the case, who happened to be a female in that instance, they were arrested and they um, stood trial. And uh, it actually made the news. I think it made national news. Yeah.
1: Um, I think uh, they ended up you know helping 84 women that's right including you know women or girls as young as 14
0: that's right yeah and you're jogging my memory now yeah and um and i believe some of the assets that were uh, recovered from those who were involved in the trafficking were actually given back to the women as reparations uh, yeah. for their for their enslavement essentially and then what we would do and this is before you came on board um <laughs> Because it was such a huge success, I remember having a prayer meeting in the parking lot of La Costa Nita one night, praying for it to be shut down. And then it was, and then what we would do is on our, the first kind of iteration of our van tours is like we, it was like a trophy a little bit like, look, man, this is what the power of prayer, the power of intervention can do, shut down this massive place. And so we went in there after it was shut down um, and I walked through it with a couple of other staff members and here's what was craziest about this place, david um you would- I had been in the bar when it was operating, but then, when it was shut down, nobody was there. It was an yeah. abandoned piece of property um when you went through the restroom so i walk you know you walk into the women 's restroom and there is a a secret door, like a trap door of sorts, cut into the wall, literally almost just like it was plywood. And you walk through that door and you go back around the back of the building, you go a couple hundred yards in this really narrow alleyway that in the middle of the night, I would imagine is pitch black, dark, right? Yeah. And then you come to a big clearing with numerous structures. And when you go into those buildings, it was, it was heartbreaking. I mean, it was just mattresses lined up on the floor. Um, one after the other. And there were some rooms, you know, some had doors, but some of them were like mattress right next to each other. And because it was, the place was raided and everybody was removed, you know, just instantly one night. I mean, people's things were still there. Wow. Um, women's clothing, um, all of the things that you would assume would be in a location where 80 women are being trafficked at any given point. It was all there. All the evidence was there. Um, it was really disturbing yeah to be quite honest and that's that's a really big case but that's that's and
1: the kind crazy of how it works. thing is is you might be asking the question like 84 women in one place like why can't law enforcement just go in and yeah. kick the doors down and la costañita was interesting because it was the tabc that was that's right part a part of it and um a a member of the trafficking ring spotted the TABC agent in a sedan and, like, took off, dropped his keys. That's right. And because the agent was able to get the keys, he was able to get into the place and discover what was going on.
0: Yeah, and I think, if I remember correctly, TABC had already been looking at the place because they were making so much money selling Bud Light out of an ice chest. Yeah. Like, or you know, whatever it was, right? Just money, like crazy money, hand over fist, selling bottles of beer, like they didn't have, yeah, anyways, it just, you're right. And so, and because of the way that it was built, it was so hidden, all the privacy fences, the secret door through the women's restroom, yeah. right? Um, It was hard to really know what was going on. But again, I mean, we targeted that place in prayer, in intercession, and in intervention. Um, And if you drive by that location today, it's just a concrete slab. Wow. It's not there anymore. Yeah,
1: it, I remember they tore it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um... I remember actually meeting the chairman of the TABC He's kind of new. This was maybe a year or two years ago. And he told me the most surprising thing about his job was the emphasis on trafficking and how TABC has a whole squad that's dedicated to uncovering trafficking rings. And he thought he was just going to be dealing with, you know, liquor licenses and bars and clubs. And and, uh, it was just a whole new world to him. But really, you know, this was the beginning of collaboration
0: amongst law enforcement, like FBI, right, uh, ICE, Harris County. Yeah, in those days, I, I, I do remember, after the shutting down of La Costanita, it felt like every couple of months, a new major cantina operation was getting busted. I remember one day coming home from work and sitting on the couch, and somebody texted me and said, hey, turn on ABC 13, and it was a helicopter uh, camera shot of another big cantina that we had been driving by doing awareness and intervention at, and it was getting raided in the yeah. middle of the day, you know? And so you're right. I mean, it did really pick up the collaborative effort, not just between agencies like ours, but with law enforcement and other government agencies to start shutting these down.
1: Yeah. And there's, you know, there's multiple parts to it. So you have people who who are traffickers mm-hmm. who are really Looking for women in Mexico, Central America, right? Uh, either forcing them, frauding them, coercing them into coming to the United States under the guise of you know you're just going to work as a waitress as a at a restaurant, right? And so you have the people that are facilitating the smuggling and the trafficking, um, but they work in tandem with the cantina owners, so the people that are owning these establishments, right? And what made it so difficult for law enforcement would Um, the owners of the cantinas would change the name of who the owner is or they transfer it to a family member. So all the charges that are, you know, building up against these cantinas, you know, how do you place those on the new owner? Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah, exactly. And
1: so they created like this crazy paper trail that law enforcement had a really difficult time dealing with. Yeah. And um, you know another big cantina was the New Back Door Club. I remember, uh, also known as Las Palmas, and that was rated in 2013. Um, but that club had like 17 sex rooms upstairs. Yeah, and you know this is just out in the out in the open in Houston, Texas. Yeah, you yeah. know
0: that place was crazy too because you their their um, street the part the part of that business that faced the main street. All, like you said, all the windows were boarded up. It looked like it was abandoned. Yeah. But when you would turn the corner to go one block behind that location, on any given night almost of the week, you'd go back there and you'd see hundreds of cars. And just the, a parking lot bustling with activity, taco trucks and security personnel and just people coming and going and going and going, you know, and, but from, but if you're just a resident going down the main street there, it looks like, oh, just another abandoned piece of property in this neighborhood. Um, but it was, it was huge. 17 sex rooms up, upstairs. And I believe that location too, there was also minors that were being trafficked yeah. and that were rescued in the, in that raid. Um, okay, so this is a good intro into how the cantina um, trade in Houston and other places works. We're going to take a, a break for just a second. And when we come back, we're going to talk about um, what do cantinas look like today and what Elijah Rising is doing on intervention um, with them currently. So stick around. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying today's episode of the Elijah Rising podcast. Right now, I'm standing in the Elijah Rising store that sells goods that empower survivors of sex trafficking. All the items in this shop, the purchases, support, the employment, as well as the restoration of women that are in our program. So please come visit us at 11th and Studewood or online at shop.elijahrising.org. And today, on your first purchase, we're going to offer you $10 off if you shop online using code PODCAST. Hey, welcome back to the Elijah Rising podcast. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what cantinas look like today. I kind of told some stories about the early days and Elijah Rising's work, but you've been doing cantina outreach a lot more frequently uh, and more recently than I, than I have. Um, so is this still a thing? Like, are these cantinas still prevalent in Houston today?
1: Yeah, I mean, on the East End and the Ship Channel of the Houston area, I mean, you can go one block and there will be five or six of these cantinas, you know, right on the same street adjacent to each other. Um, they're mostly in the Ship Channel, but we're even beginning to see them in Northwest Houston. Um, even wow. in the Heights area, we just yeah, that's true. redid our van tour route and there was a cup, two or three cantinas kind of on that in there in that area. And so they do look the same. You know, it's, it does look like your typical kind of just Rundown looking bar, yeah, looks shady. Um, they're not as large as I think some of these previous cases we talked about, right? Right, where they had like 17 upper rooms and you know, all these women held in one place. We see a lot of women um, being transported by like vans to multiple mm. different locations. So, one month we might be in the Ship Channel area, and then the next month we'll be in Northwest Houston. Sometimes we'll see the same women. Oh, wow, being
0: trafficked in, between two different locations. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And um, and so there's not as many women as, you know, you were saying you walked into La Costa Anita and it was yeah. just like tons of women. You know, right. now there's, you know, just a handful of women in these bars. Of course, we go from 9 to 11, so it's not right. the busiest hour, like 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. Before
0: peak hour of, Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but they're still prevalent and um, they're still operating and they still use the same model of purchasing beer mm. to purchase women and and that whole thing. And, you know, another thing is, uh, you, we, we didn't talk about this in the first part, but the prevalence of the occult and mm. like a lot of the cantinas, they'll have like garlic on the door, Santa Muerte, images throughout the yeah. building. And it's really uh, ritually abusive to the women who are there. And I don't know if you want to share about uh, yeah. experience you had. Yeah,
0: actually, um, a number of the cantinas that we first started doing intervention in, I remember, like, we would walk in and there would be shrines of sorts set up um, and all sorts of, like, um, r- religious or ritualistic paraphernalia that would go along with that. Um, and actually, in our Museum of Modern Day Slavery, uh, we have some of those things. There's an installment in the museum where we kind of touch on this and you can see some of those items um, that, that we found in the field. Um, And I remember one cantina in particular, we opened a door and it was um, there was a room and the entire room was dedicated. It was like a, a, an altar uh, to Santa Marta. And um, yeah, it just seems to be part of the, the system. Uh, of of not just the trafficking, but the traffickers and the business model of sorts, because yeah. they pray for you know the business and things like that. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. There's an interesting connection there.
1: Yeah, and there's an element of just psychological bondage there because yeah, many of the yeah. women, you know they they might be staying at you know their own apartment or their own home or someone else's home, right? And you know they're free to go to the grocery store. They're free to go different places and so a lot of people they they have a hard time figuring out well why don't you just leave like if this is so terrible yeah. Um, but they don't understand is like these people that are trafficking the women understand where their families are Back in Mexico, back in Central America, right? And you know, a lot of times those things are held against them. Like we we remember um, going to a cantina in North Maine, mm. and we were talking with a girl there, and she was sharing how she was brought over from Honduras. Um, she thought she was coming to work as a waitress, right? And so she had two kids that were um, staying back in Honduras with family. And that night she was really troubled because uh, her oldest son went missing. Mm. And she thought it was unusual that we sh- that we showed up because we were Christians and we were offering to just pray. And she was a believer herself. And she um, was telling us about how she used to go to church back in Honduras and how she s- still prays to God to, to help her out of the situation. Mm. And so we just began to pray with her to- over kids and-, and just that they would be found and um something happened she just began to open up and share she was like hey when you guys walked in like i had a migraine and it totally left Wow! and i was like feeling depressed and then you guys brought just like this presence with you guys hmm. and so she pulled us outside and we're on the front steps of this cantina and she's telling us all this her story of how she's came from honduras and is working at this cantina in houston and we shared with her, you know, hey, there, there are resources, there are people that can help. You know, she was in trouble um, with law enforcement, so she was, you know, really terrified of being deported, right, and right. you know, it, it was a complex situation. Of, and she still had sort of this debt that was kind of looming over her. And so we just began to to pray with her and begin to connect her with Rescue America and some resources. Um, but that night, I mean, she she made a decision like she she wants to leave and and not come back to that club. Yeah. And I think a lot of times we think, you know, every woman in the cantina, you know, has some sort of pimp. Some of them are, it's almost like they're trafficked by their situation. Like I remember going to a cantina and um, it was this lady's first time. So I'm sitting at the bar and I'm just strike up a conversation and say, hey, we're with the church and right. you know we're just here to help people. And if you need anything, just let us know. I have some resources for you. And she just began to talk to me because she didn't know anybody. And I said, well, you know, how long have you been here? Have you been here before? And she was telling me how this was her first night. And she was a single mom in Corpus Christi. She had three kids and her husband abused her. Mm. So she ended up leaving him, and she wasn't working at the time. She wasn't able to find work. And so she found a friend that just somehow got her connected to coming into this cantina and selling herself. And so um, she would drive. She drove from Corpus to Houston that night. and um, That same night that you found her? That same night, yeah. yeah. Wow. And we just began to tell her, you know, uh, you didn't want to scare her, but at That's the true. same time, I wanted to, for her to understand how dangerous it was. Um, and so, I think it was it was good that we were there, just to provide her with the resources. And yeah. after that night, you know, we never saw her again. Yeah, um, yeah. You
0: know, I think you're bringing up a point that we have said numerous times on the podcast and we say you know when we go and speak places or when people ask questions but i think it's worth repeating again and again that this whole situation sex trafficking uh, really is the exploitation of vulnerability absolutely and the stories that you're telling right now and the stories that you know we continue to tell which are so important because it gives a larger understanding of how this all occurs is these individuals are being exploited but the the factors that bring them to that place is their vulnerability. I mean, you know, that woman yeah. in particular, she's she's coming from an abusive marriage. She has numerous children, right? And so she sees no other way. Also, she has somebody influencing her that says this is a way, right? And then yeah. she ends up in this cantina. And fortunately, by the grace of God, you know, our team, you in particular, you know, you were there to intervene. But that happens over and over and over again, doesn't it? I mean, most of these women are there because there's some vulnerability, whether it's poverty, hunger, or homelessness, or immigration even, is being exploited, and then they find themselves in these situations.
1: Yeah, you know it's that, or it's or you know it's like MS-13 gang members like burned right. down your business and forced you into this. So right, right. It can also be you know very violent in nature, but mm. sometimes it is just kind of exploiting that vulnerability yeah. and taking advantage of someone you know when they're already down. Right, and um, yeah, it's, it's just it's heartbreaking to hear the stories. Yeah, and I think. I think it's important, though, that, you know, when we go into the cantinas, you know, our whole the whole goal of our interventions is is built on a relationship model. And the people that we're able to help most effectively are the ones that we develop relationships with that, you know, we're seeing every month and we're able to understand sort of where they're coming from and the complexities of helping them, you know, because it's not just getting into a shelter. Right, right. I mean, that's that's one step of like a myriad of, you know, they have, you know, charges against them. They have legal issues. Some of them might not even be, you know, have the, like their license or right. basic documents that you need to kind of build your life, right? And uh, and so building that relationship is key. Yeah. And a lot of the women look forward to our teams actually coming because you know we're um, not there to take advantage of them, yeah. or exploit them. We're just there to be sort of a a light in the dark, yeah, and to be present in these places that really, um, you know, they see it. Super odd that church people. (laughs) Yeah, I mean that we get so many stares because these people are like, right? What you don't belong here. Like I remember uh, a previous intervention. We were at a cantina, and the guard. They all have guards at the door, right? And he was like, "What are you doing, bringing gifts here? Like you guys don't belong here. Y'all are church people. Mm. You don't belong here." And we just told him, you know, hey, we know that you don't typically see church people here but you know you're the people that God cares about he cares about the people that are in this club and so that's why we're here to just share the love and it was so shocking to him mm-hmm. and we just began sharing and we said hey can we pray and all of a sudden it was like the parking lot guy he came <laughs> to be in a servant you know he took off his hat And bowed his head. And then all the women are just kind of (laughs) like, they're (laughs) arriving to their job and they're seeing this circle of people gather. Wow. And we're just praying and we're playing blessing over them. And you you just begin to see the women begin to cry. The Lord begins to touch them. Mm. You know, it's probably one of the first times that they felt cared for, loved on. Yeah. And, you know, we don't know what their situation is and how they wound up there. Right. But... I guarantee you, they're going to remember that night. Yeah, and uh, so it
0: sounds like intervention uh, is less about rescuing people and and you know uh, finding them in dark places and snatching them out and removing them, and more about, as you've said, developing a relationship and just embodying the love of Jesus in that place. Is, is would you say that was a true statement?
1: Yeah, definitely, unless we do encounter someone who's you know, a minor then right. we we've we've called law enforcement yeah. several times. Yeah. And that's something that we do immediately. Yeah. Um but a lot of them have fake IDs and you know, it creates all sort of um we haven't really been able to Yeah.
0: They're not as out in the open as, you know. Right, right. Yeah. Well, um so for those who are listening to this podcast or watching this podcast on YouTube, um, they've heard how the how sex trafficking works in cantinas here in Houston in particular. So they might be fired up, right? They might say, okay, I want to do something about this. I want to make an impact. This is an injustice in my own neighborhood, and I have to end it. I have to be a part of this. What is one way, or maybe a couple of ways even, I don't know, how, however many ways, yeah. uh, what's something that the listeners and the viewers can do? To, to make a difference.
1: Yeah. You know, if it's in your community, you can just be aware of it. Take that first initial step to yeah. get educated, understand how this works. You know, in this podcast, we've outlined sort of um, what cantinas look like. Um, But there's a larger uh, legal actions that can be taken against these places that, Mm -hmm. you know, we just haven't really figured out yet. And so there are people like in the uh, insurance agency or even in, um, I don't know, like fire safety or, or health safety, ways that we can, you know, address these places yeah. so that law enforcement can come in. Or like we talked do. about
0: earlier, TABC has been TABC. so
1: instrumental. Yeah, yeah, and just just being the eyes and seeing what's yeah. happening, writing down stuff that you're seeing happening. You know, women in these vans are always being brought to yeah. this location. And um, so being educated, being aware. And then, you know, whenever we start back with interventions, I would say if you are a Spanish speaker, yeah. we desperately need... Spanish speakers to go on intervention um, I would say maybe 50 per, 50 to 60 percent of the women in Cantinas and men in Cantinas yeah. are Latin American and they mostly speak Spanish right right and so um, we've had great success when we've had Spanish speakers go into Cantinas. And we're also, you know, partnering with churches in that area to, to recommend people to go there for other resources. And right. so if you are a church that has a focus on, you know, the Latin American community, you know, we need you to link arms with, with us and, yeah. and with the community to help reach out to people. Yeah, in that's, cantinas. that's
0: great. So we are just for clarification, we are recording this podcast in the midst of uh, a global pandemic. And so um, currently at this moment when we're recording, interventions are on pause, but they won't stay that way. Like when, yeah. when it's safe um, for everyone, for our volunteers, um, mostly we will... Relaunch intervention. So, in that case, when interventions are operating normally, how would somebody uh, join an intervention team?
1: Yeah. So, to join our intervention, it's super easy. Uh, you just go to elijahrising.org and you can press on the menu tab. There's a button that says intervention. And we have multiple interventions throughout the city, but, um, cantinas were mainly going to cantinas and Houston intervention, Northwest okay.
0: intervention. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, That's our conversation about how trafficking works, at least the first episode, uh, focusing on cantinas. Thanks, David, for being here. And so, yeah, I just want to mention one more time, um, visit our website, ElijahRising.org, for more information, uh, for other podcast episodes and all sorts of other stuff, blog posts, and um, how to find out about the intervention signups and van tours and things like that. Also, I want to encourage you to visit the Museum of Modern Day Slavery, where we have um, multiple installments of how trafficking works uh, here and abroad and historically. You can check out the the museum. So also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, all the platforms, and subscribe to the podcast. If this has been an impactful episode for you, uh, come back and Tell a friend, share it, subscribe, share, like, comment. And we want to hear from you. Are there questions about this work that you want to hear us discuss? Are there guests you would like to see on the podcast? Let us know, comment, send us a message, and we will see you on the next episode of the Elijah Rising Podcast.